I just wanted to start off our time together this morning by acknowledging the absolutely beautiful response that we had last week to the altar call. If you were here last week, you would have been a part of something that I just thought was absolutely fantastic, where people were actually coming forward writing names and situations down that they needed to say, it's time for me to forgive, it's time for me to recognize I've been forgiven much, and people nailing those to the cross. And to see hundreds of people doing that last week, and people doing that even at home online, writing things down, or people just making that step to bridge that gap between torn and tattered relationships and things that were strained or situations that continually kept people stuck. And now people are declaring and saying together, they're ready to move forward. They're ready to move on. They're ready to trust in God and trust that his forgiveness is sufficient and to be able to respond in that way. Church, can I just tell you that that was absolutely beautiful to be a part of last week. Absolutely just beautiful to be a part of. It is, I I think that the church, the body of Christ, should be the best at forgiveness because we've been forgiven so much and we recognize how much Christ has forgiven us, amen? And so if we recognize this, then our response, it should be you know, an automatic response almost of the Christian to where we understand God has done something so powerful in us and to us and through us that how could we not? It's like, I'm, I'm just compelled to forgive. I'm, I wanna seek restoration. I wanna seek reconciliation. And to see an entire church, I mean, just continually go through that. Can I tell you, as your pastor, that was just inspirational and moving. And I hope that that's one of those moments where you can kind of look back on And you can see God did something significant in your life, in your family, in your relationships, and in our church. You know, this happened a lot back in the Old Testament where the the children of Israel would be, you know, going towards the promised land that God had called them to. And something significant would happen. Something really powerful would happen where God showed up in a really big way and it was undeniable that it was God. And what often would happen is that they would set up some sort of memorial to remember that. So that way when generations would go by, people look back and they would say, what's that pile of stones there arranged that way for? Or what's the reason for this uh, particular thing being set in this particular area this way? And it would be so that someone could tell the story about how God did something powerful and how God did something significant. And I hope and pray that God has been bringing you to a place where you've been confronted with the truth of his word and the Holy Spirit is drawing you to himself in a way where there are those moments where those memorials are being created in your life that you can look back on and you can say, this is where God did this in my life. And I can look back on that and perhaps for some of you, last week was one of those moments where God solidified something in your heart and in your life that is not only just going to change a certain situation, but it's actually gonna change the entire trajectory that you were perhaps on before as he works in awesome, awesome ways. And so that's just a way that you have been saying yes to greater things. And I wanna thank you, church, just seeing you respond how, as you've been challenged throughout these past few series that we've done, uh, we've talked about going from here to there, we've talked about being equipped We've talked about how we need to continually grow to say yes to the greater things. And so many of you have been raising your hand lately 
to say yes to greater things. And that's looking different with each one of you because you each have your own unique journey that God's calling you to. But also collectively as a church, just seeing those things is absolutely incredible. I want to thank you for giving of your time, giving of your resources, investing in the kingdom work, and being very generous. I loved when we got together and we were able to pack 40,000 meals to be able to send over to Honduras. And did you know that with the meals we packed then and then the meals that we had packed um, that previous September, that in less than a year's time, that we at BCC had packed over 100,000 meals um, to send overseas to bless people. So thank you for being generous. Thank you for saying yes. Thank you for that. I wanted to talk today about a vision to move forward because I think that we all understand that we need to move from here to there. And we've been talking about different pockets and different ways of how we can do that and how we can trust God throughout that process. And we've been acknowledging those things over these past few weeks. And I really want to talk about a vision to move forward because we have some things that we've dealt with as a church and some things that we've navigated and waded through. And some of you are aware, most of you I think are aware, that we're in a new space, a newly constructed space that we're coming up on um, a year of being actually in this space so it's brand new to us and we're loving this space and a lot of that uh, uh, has helped us throughout the pandemic because uh, of the amount of distancing that we had to do and so we were able to actually regather and meet much sooner than we would have had we not had this space because of all the technology that had been invested in and how people just quickly gravitated towards learning that and you gravitated towards being able to step up and learn how to do that. Some of you who never operated a camera before or ever operated a switcher or anything like that and now we're streaming weekly and now it's just a part of our church and it's what we do. We have just another way to continue to minister to people. And so all of those things and more that have happened and that are still happening are a result of people saying yes. And we are nearing a refinance to our loan on this. And so uh, if those of you who were around during that capital campaign, you would have remembered it was called the Moore campaign. And so I just want to say thank you for giving to that as we're able to look at the fruit, as we're able to see what God has done through that. Some of you are brand new to this church and you have no idea about any of those things. And so perhaps now that you're a part of the church, you can see what all God's doing and you can be a part of that vision to move forward. But for those of you who have been investing both of your time and your resource, I just wanted to say thank you because we still have a ways to go, but I do believe that God will continue to move on hearts to respond and invest in the vision and the work that God's calling us to. Amen. All of us are called to say yes to greater things, every one of us in our lives, because we're faced with opportunities every single day of things that we're going to say yes to, things that we're going to say no to. Some of those things are good things, some of those things are not so good things. But here's the harder part, is when I'm faced with a lot of things that I could say yes to, and they're good, but are they really the best things? Is me saying yes to the good things actually 
robbing me from saying yes to the greater things. There are a lot of things that aren't wrong. They're not necessarily sinful. They can be good things that can take up our time, things that we can invest our time and our resources in that we could go, those are good things. I think that generally people in the world, they want to do good at some level with their lives because it feels good to do good. Even the person that doesn't know Christ understands that it feels good to do good. That's why you have secular organizations that are not Christ-centered that still want to be humanitarian because it feels good to do good. And there's a spiritual element to it that those that don't know Christ are missing out on because they don't fully understand uh, uh, totally what they're doing. But yet there's something in them that says, I, I feel a need to want to do something good. But... Although there are tons of opportunities for us to do good, I think that there are those opportunities that God's called us to, to do something great. There is a greater thing to say yes to that he's calling us to. There's a greater thing, and I think that the greater things are the eternal things, the things that are laying up treasure in heaven, the things that are actually investing in advancing the kingdom of God so that it outlives our lifetime. I want to see us invest in eternal things in such a way that the generation that comes up after all of us are long gone, that they are strong in their faith and that they know who Jesus is and they're still evangelizing, making disciples, sharing the gospel, and they're still making an impact on eternity and they're continually investing forward. But for us to do that, we have to realize it's not just going to happen. It's not going to happen because it's supposed to or because we want it to. It's going to happen because a group of people who love Jesus and who are investing in the greater things understand something that it's not all about me. There's something else that I want to see happen beyond my lifetime, and I want to invest in the greater things. I want to invest in eternity because if it's just about me and my comfort, if it's just about me and my pleasure, if it's just about me and my happiness, that's a, that's a very small thing to pursue and chase after. I mean, it's not really hard to want to maybe inconvenience myself to do something that makes me feel good or something I enjoy. But when it comes to eternity, that's a different set of values. That's a different starting point. Because we all are starting from somewhere in life with how we make decisions, how we uh, scale our priorities, how we invest our time and our resources, how we continue to connect and, and the purpose in which we live. And for the Christian, I believe that it's supposed to be that we are living to impact eternity and saying yes to the greater eternal things. It's a response to what God has done. It should be like this natural response because God didn't do what he did for us begrudgingly or with an attitude, or with this measure of just uh, frustration. No, God did what he did freely. And love, he gave and sacrificed for us because of his great love. He gave us his one and only son. He willingly gave us forgiveness and freedom through Christ. Our response to that free gift should be one that is driven by a thankful, cheerful, and willing heart. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to kind of anchor down in there today. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. As you're turning, I want to give you just a little bit of a setup so you can know what's happening because it's important to read the scripture and teach the scripture in context. Amen? Amen. All right. 
Paul here has been talking in this letter for quite some time about a promised gift in chapter 8 that the Corinthians pledged. So the Corinthians said, we want to do this. It's in our heart. We want to make sure that, you know, we are intentional about this gift because the church in Jerusalem was struggling and they wanted to make sure that there was uh, enough to be able to take care of the brothers and sisters in Christ uh, there in Jerusalem. So the Corinthians made a pledge. They said, I'm going to do this. They raised their hand and they said, we, we want to help. And Paul knew about this and he wanted to make sure that they followed through. He wanted to kind of do this delicate balance and you're going to see this when we read it. He does this delicate balance of saying, I want to kind of remind you of what you said you were going to do because I know you're going to do it. I'm not like reminding you because I'm like doubting that you're going to do it. I'm just wanting to remind you that you indeed did say that you would do this. And I actually celebrate that because I have confidence you are going to do it. But then he also wanted to make sure that while he was encouraging them and reminding them to do what they had pledged to do, that their hearts were still in the right place while doing it. He wanted to make sure that, hey, I know some time's gone on before I could get to you to be able to collect this gift, to be able to help the church and alleviate their suffering and their, and their challenges that they're facing. But I want to make sure that since that time has passed, you hadn't started thinking, you know what, I could use a new camel. You know, you know those, new, uh, the, those, those new Air Jordan sandals just came out, and I've got my eye on them. <clears throat> um, you know, I mean, I, I haven't even taken my wife out, you know, uh, on a date recently. You know, I, I haven't, you know, he wanted to make sure they weren't sitting there thinking, well, we could remodel the bathroom, you know, or whatever the case may be. And all of a sudden their eyes get off of that and they're like, oh yeah, thanks a lot, Paul. I guess we can't do that, honey. Sorry, we've got to give that to the church that's struggling, right? He wanted to make sure that those types of attitudes weren't creeping up in them as time has passed. Because as you know, in the moment... When you get inspired to say yes to greater things, it's all like, yeah, like, sign me up, like, today, let's go, woo, and then you get home and you're like, I, I don't know, I mean, maybe after this and this happen, then we, we'll have more time, then we can serve and get involved, we'll have more time after these things happen, or we'll have more finances after this and this happen. you know, I mean, it just makes sense, we want to be good stewards, right, I mean, and we make all of these excuses, because in the moment, we truly were inspired, and it could have very well been the Spirit of God moving on our hearts and leading us to say yes to something in the moment, whatever that point of inspiration may have looked like. But any one of us can rationale away that inspiration once we're faced with, oh, but how are we going to do that? I mean, we're really busy. How are we going to do that? Oh, I don't know, you know. Uh, I mean, maybe after football season, right? Then, then, you know, that, then, yeah, then, Jesus, you got me, like, you got me so much after that. And that's the type of stuff Paul wanted to make sure that the Corinthians weren't dealing with because he understood that they were dealing with that. He wanted to make sure that even though he knew that they were going to give the gift, they were going to do it, he wanted to make sure that they weren't, like, doing it with a bad attitude, because stuff happens, life happens from that moment of inspiration and commitment. Because I imagine when those people heard about the need of the church, they were like, yeah, let's band together. We're going to just love them because we were so loved by Christ. Yes, we're going to. Just like maybe even some of you last week, you, you, you took the name and you put it on the cross. You know, like, I'm going to call that person. And you get home and you're like, you know, they were pretty wrong for doing that. I don't, I don't know if I need to call them or not. <laughs> that can happen, Right. I mean, it just happens. That's reality. And so Paul is writing in this section 
to remind them. So it's with that spirit, let's read that and that understanding. Chapter 9, verse 1. Okay, just full transparency. I've been practicing. Now it is superfluous. Um, thank you. Okay, <clears throat> I practiced this morning with Bryce. He helped me out. So did Google. All right. <laughs> Because I was like, now it's superfluous for me, which sounds more fun. If you are expecting a child, consider superfluous as a name. <laughs> now it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has been stirred up most of them, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. <laughs> I love Paul. He's like, yeah, I'm sending them just in case. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready, look at this, as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service... They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Man, <clears throat> as I read this, I begin to think about how Paul is wanting them to understand the heart of God. He's wanting them to understand the free gift that we were given in Christ and how Christ didn't come begrudgingly. But yet he said, you know, that he was willingly laying down his life, that no man was taking his life from him. He was giving it freely as a gift for all, for you and for me, for our salvation. And our response to that would be saying yes to those greater eternal things. And it's going to take us. Living with that type of kingdom priority for us to move forward in the vision that God has called us to. It's going to require all of us 
to be in unity, understanding that there's something greater happening that God is calling me to, that I just, I get to be a part of this. And however I get to be a part of it, whatever opportunities that there are, I need to be ready to say yes and not just say yes because somebody made me feel guilty about not saying yes. I mean, nobody wants a guilt-driven response. I certainly don't want guilt-driven responses as your pastor where somehow I, I made you feel bad and so to, in order to alleviate your guilt, you're going to say yes. That's not a cheerful giver. That's not cheerfully giving of your time or of your resources. That's you going, I want to feel better and I don't want to be one of those that's not involved and not giving and not a part. And so you're just like, okay, I feel better. I served a little over here. I gave a little over here. Whoo, okay, I'm... And when he's talking and preaching, at least he's not talking to me because I, I know I did what I was supposed to do. And some people, they, they think of generosity that way, and that's not the heart of generosity at all. That person is actually missing out on the best part of generosity. That person is missing out on what it's actually all about. It should be a joy. It's not something I have to do. It's something I get to do. I get to say yes to greater things. I get to be involved with my time. I get to give of my resources, not just here to the church. Yes, that's one piece of it, certainly. But I live with an open hand, understanding that God has called me to be a steward. And when I understand this fact, that I own nothing, that I am only a steward, and I live with an open hand, all of the sudden I can live as a, in, unto the glory of God in a way that I never have before because things and, and my time and my schedule and the budget and all that stuff doesn't control me any longer because I understand I'm not an owner. So I think all of us just need to give up ownership of what we think is ours, and we need to say, Lord, you can have it all. Here's, here's, my, here's my, my schedule, my calendar. Here's all my plans. Here they are, Lord. They're yours. Lord, here's my budget. Here's, here's my resources. Here's the things that, that, that I have that I thought I once owned. But Lord, they're all, they're all yours. How do you want me to use these for your glory in a way to say yes to greater things? How do you want our church to use these things in a way to make a bigger impact on eternity? How can we see more people come to faith in Christ? One of the things we talked about a couple weeks ago, if you'll remember, I gave you a shocking statistic that the Quad Cities is number 15 on a list of post-Christian cities and regions. Now, that doesn't mean that there are people who have never heard of Jesus. That would be like an unchurched area. So it's not as much unchurched that we're on the list for at number 15. It's post-churched. You know what that means? That means that people were wounded and they don't want anything to do with Christianity anymore. That means that people were burned by Christianity and they don't want anything to do with that anymore. They've seen enough of the hostility. They've seen enough of the division. They've seen enough of the backbiting, the manipulation, the guilt. They've seen all of that stuff, and they're just going, yeah, I don't want to live my life having to deal with all of that because they experienced that in the context of the church. And these people are burned out. They're worn out. Maybe at one time they were really passionate, and they're post-Christian. 
They're just saying, I'm done. I've experienced that, and, and, and I don't want that. Because what they experienced was either negative or it wasn't appealing or they didn't see the value in it, whatever the case was. And so that's what that means on that list. So church, we have a job to do, amen? amen. We have a job to do because I don't want the Quad Cities to be on that list. And I want BCC to have something to do with the Quad Cities not being on that list. Amen? Amen. I, I have a vision to see us not on that list. I can't wait for Barna to do their research in a few years. And we go from number 15 to not even on the list. Because a church decided that we're going to do something intentionally, on purpose, that is bigger than ourselves, that is not about us, that is not necessarily even for us, but we're doing it for something bigger than any individual. We're doing it for something bigger than, our, than, than any individual's comfort, any individual's enjoyment. In fact, we're doing it because we're responding to the gospel and what Christ has done to us. And out of response, we're, 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 we're forgiving, we're eager, eager, eager to maintain a, a spirit of unity, and that we move united with purpose to see those that are far from God brought home, see those that have been estranged come back like the prodigal son, amen? amen. And that we live in such a way where we're extending grace and we're building bridges of forgiveness and healing and reconciliation, and that we're actually able to help other Christians and other churches to also find unity and healing and forgiveness and restoration. I see that God is calling us. He has us here strategically for a purpose. You just thought somebody decided years ago to buy some land on a corner and said, this would be a good spot for a church. But God had other plans. Amen? What we thought we were just maybe strategically deciding God had a greater plan, and he wants us to see that. But it's going to require that we're unified. It's going to require that we're all on board. It's going to require that we live open-handedly and generously, and we look at the things God has given us and the time that he has given us with more of an open hand, because giving and generosity for the Christian should be regular, it should be sacrificial, and it should be joyful. Let me say that again. Giving for the Christian should be regular, it should be sacrificial, and it should be joyful. It should actually be something I look forward to serving, I look forward to giving, I look forward to doing those things because there's joy in my heart because I know I'm responding to what God has done. The joy in giving, listen to this, the joy in giving is not related to what we get back. Oh, let me say that again because some of y'all have heard some bad preaching and teaching the joy in giving is not related to what we get back. It is that we get to be a part of impacting eternity and God's kingdom being expanded. I'm going to let you in on a little, little maybe not well, so well-known fact about me as um, I'm still relatively new. Some of you have talked to you about this, and so some of you are aware, but not the majority. The way that I was raised up was during the prosperity movement they call it prosperity gospel but that's an oxymoron um, because the way that it was being taught is that God basically wants all your wildest dreams to come true he never wants you to be sick he never wants you to be poor or struggle and if you are poor or struggling or sick it's because you had a lack of faith or you probably weren't giving enough in the offering 
And that's how I grew up in that type of teaching. And if you could just name it and claim it, if you could just speak to that seed and you could just say to that mountain, be removed, if you could just keep positive your confession and all that stuff and just say all the right things, hold your mouth just right, give just enough, have enough faith. If you get the formula down pat, God will just do anything you want. And that's how I grew up. And it really hurt me and uh, because I began to see me trying really, really hard and I still started seeing things happen in my life that wasn't happening the way I was told it was supposed to happen. But I, I was bought in. And I started getting confused at why. I thought I was doing the formula right. I did step one, step two, step three, step four. And, and maybe, and then you always look back on yourself because you're always failing. You're never good enough. And there's, it's just like the carrot just keeps getting dangled and it just takes another step back. And you're going, well, what am I doing? What do I have to do now? And how do I unlock the secrets? And the, you, hear, you hear all the secrets and keys and, you know, uh, the principle that I need to learn and all this stuff and really bad contextualized scripture that is not properly interpreted. To build a case to how everything in my life is supposed to go perfect. And it paints this picture of the reason we follow God is because he fixes all of our problems here on earth. Folks, uh, the reason we follow God is not because he fixes all of our problems here on earth. Because as I read the scripture, I see where there are going to be trials that I'm going to go through. Paul said, count it all joy. <laughs> James said, count it all joy. When you see these different temptations, trials, challenges come your way. Ooh, I don't like that because that conflicts with the way that I want the Bible to be written. Well, too bad. You weren't consulted on the matter. <laughs> bad things happen to good people, and I don't know why, but I do know that God can take something that was meant for your destruction to turn it around for your good and his glory. I do know that I have seen beauty from ashes, and I have seen God take a hopeless situation and use it to minister and impact the kingdom, just like men, it's the same thing. We're doing the same thing. Do you remember that one time when Jesus uh, was was uh, just minding his business, walking through the streets, and the religious leaders bring him this blind guy to heal, and they bring, they want to see what's up, and they want to hear what he's going to say because he's blind. And the disciples, they said this, they asked this question. They said, "Jesus, why is this man blind? Like who sinned him?" Or his parents. Like, they want to know. Like, why is this guy blind? And Jesus said, this is so that you'll know that I am who I said that I am. And he says, eyes, be opened. Guy gets healed right there. This guy went through so much difficulty and challenge, and God used that for his glory. Just like, you remember the story? You learned this in Sunday school. If you went to Sunday school as a kid, I remember this on flannel graph. You remember flannel graph? You remember the story of the guy who was, um, he couldn't walk, he was on the bed, his friends tear a hole in the roof, and they like drop him in because no, they were trying to get to Jesus, but there's like this huge crowd around him, and they climb up on the roof where Jesus is like in this person's house, they just tear up some random stranger's roof, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> and this really happened, that's the crazy part, you know, like these guys actually were so adamant about seeing their friend healed, they tore up someone else's roof, and then they lowered him. Like, you, you got to trust your friends. Um, and then here, here comes, like, these four friends, and they're, like, lowering their buddy down, and here Jesus looks at the man, and everyone's expecting Jesus to heal him. Everyone, everyone. It's just like, oh, guy that can't walk, Jesus is about to do his thing, right? And Jesus looks at the man, and he says, your sins are forgiven. What? What do you do? 
You know, like his sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders that were there, they freaked out when they, when they saw this. And they said, no one can do that except God. Who do you think you are? They began to say blasphemy because nobody can forgive sins except for God. And then Jesus said this. He said, which one's easier to say? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because no one can see inside that he was washed clean, right? I mean, it's harder to say get up and walk because then if you say rise up and walk and he doesn't, well, then you're a phony, right? So he said, your sins are forgiven. Which one's easier to say? Be healed, get up and walk, or your sins are forgiven? And then he says, just so you'll know that the Son of Man has both power to forgive and to heal. Now get up and walk. And the man gets up and walk. Boo, Jesus, what? <laughs> like, like what? Right there, dropping mics before there were mics. You know? So when we go through challenges in life, we may not always understand them. We may not know what the purpose is. But can I tell you that no matter how dark or how difficult or how challenging it is, that God can use it for his glory and to point people to the hope that we have in eternity? Because we have to remember this life is a vapor, man. There's a purpose to it, and it's to give God glory. And when we remember that, it changes the priority in which we live. So then I understand it's not about me always getting my way and using the Bible to get my way and getting the formula to get all the secrets from God so my life can go perfect. No, sometimes bad things happen, but it's where I go next. It's that I run to him because he's my source of hope, even when there is no hope. Not hope that everything's going to get better in this lifetime. Maybe yes, maybe no. But at the same time, my hope rests in that my eternity is secured with him because I have placed my faith and my hope in Christ alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Amen. And that helps me to live with a greater purpose, whether things are going my way or whether they're not. Generous living, living open-handedly, intentionally, on purpose. Understand that it's not just about finances. It's about time. It's about resources. It's about what God has given us. And it's living open-handed instead of living closed-fisted. And that's what's going to be required of us to move forward, to begin to see ourselves differently, to not see ourselves as people who just want to bring about safety by what we can acquire and hang on to, but rather as seeing, no, Lord, how do you want me to live? How do you want my schedule to be uh, going this, this week? What do you want me to do? What are the opportunities in front of me that you're calling me to say yes to greater things because I want to be a part of moving your church from here to there. I want to be a part of impacting the Quad Cities and beyond for the kingdom of God in a way that the gospel is still strong in this next generation. And the gospel doesn't get watered down because a generation became so focused on themselves that we missed the up-and-coming generation. That when we're gone, that the gospel is still being proclaimed that whether it's legal or illegal to be a Christian by that time, it doesn't matter. They're still strong. And they're still loving Christ. Amen? Amen. No matter what degree of persecution they, they are facing, they still see value in following Jesus. They still see priority in gathering together. Because someone set the tone. Someone decided to say yes. Someone decided to say, this is what matters most in life. This is what matters most in this short existence that we have been given. And we modeled it, and we showed it, and we invested, and we equipped 
so that when we can look back, we can be cheering that next generation on, just as Paul says, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and those people are cheering us on, saying, forget what's behind and press on to what lies ahead. Living life with a greater purpose, that's what you and I are called to do. Here's our big idea for this week. And I want you to write this down, share it on social media, hashtag BCC Big Idea. Generosity is our lifestyle. That's the core value I want you to, to get today. I want you to catch it. It's not just something we do. We live generously because we have a vision to move forward. We have a purpose. We have a why. And it's bigger than just alleviating guilt. Amen. 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 <laughs> it's bigger than, and oh, it should be bigger than puffing out my chest, right? Feeling, no, it's, it's not. It's humility, it's trust, it's obedience, it's sacrificial, it's regular, it's joyful. It's something that I get to be a part of. It's a lifestyle. It's not just something I do at church. It's something I live open-handedly with every single day. The early church understood this because they wanted to make sure that people were being taken care of. They wanted to make sure that the gospel could continue to move forward. And Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12, in verse 32. He said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, for us to move from here to there, we must continue to grow, to live generously, on purpose. And I believe that God is calling some of you today, and he's challenging you with saying yes to greater things by being obedient with your time. I believe God is calling others of you to say yes to him with your resources. I see a church, BCC, building bridges in the Quad Cities for those who are far from Christ to be able to return to him. I see us making a greater investment of our time and our resources in the next generation because we want the gospel to be carried stronger into the future. I see us continuing to strengthen our missions and outreach, both locally here in the Quad Cities and globally, so that we can be a part of helping many people to hear the gospel and experience the love of Jesus through us. It is a response to the gospel, a response that says, yes, I will invest in kids by serving, by giving. A, a response that says, yes, I will be intentional about investing in my neighborhood. A response that says, yes, I will be intentional about investing in relationships with my coworkers. I will be intentional about saying yes to investing in the future of BCC. What is God calling you to be generous with today? How can you grow in that? If you are saying yes, ask yourself, Lord, how can I grow in living a generous lifestyle that is prioritizing eternity? Sometimes we can get in a rut, even with doing good things. Sometimes we, it can just become like automatic and it's a rut and we're, we're just in like this, this hamster wheel. We're just like exerting energy, but we're not really moving forward. Maybe God's calling you to get off the hamster wheel. He's causing, calling you to re-engage. Because maybe you've lost some of the joy in that. Maybe your generosity has been more of a rut, of a ritual, of a routine. 
And today is the day that God wants you to recapture the joy of that. Because remember, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church, he said, I don't want you guys just doing this because you said you were going to do it. I don't want you to do it begrudgingly or like with this attitude. Or I, I want you to remember that when you were in that place where you said yes, that you were actually excited about saying yes. For some of you, serving has gotten stale. You maybe have even gotten bitter about it because you look at maybe how other people aren't involved and how they should be, and you've gotten like an attitude towards it. I, I want to ask you to allow the Holy Spirit to deal with that attitude in that heart today to soften that, that you wouldn't think more highly of yourself than you should, but that you would begin to allow the Holy Spirit to work on your heart. Oh man, I, I've, I've gotten prideful in that. Pride has snuck in or arrogance or that frustration is not a godly frustration. It's something where I'm comparing myself to other people and, oh Lord, forgive me for that. I, I want to return to the joy. Because if you stay in that comparative state where you feel like, oh, I'm doing this and no one else is doing it, you're going to get hard in your heart. You're going to get, it's going to get funky. The enemy's looking for a way to come in and cause division. The enemy's looking for a way to come in and try to sow those seeds of comparison and strife and manipulation. He's looking for a way to come in and and, and sow those seeds. So be aware. Scripture says we're not ignorant of Satan's schemes. We're not ignorant of the things that he's trying to do. So what I hope to do here today is expose the tricks of the enemy for those of you who are connected, those of you who are engaged, that you can rediscover and stay continually in that place of being joyful in your giving, joyful in your generosity lifestyle, joyful in the fact that you know that you're giving with a purpose to something, as a part of something, with your time, with your finances, with whatever other resources or, or influence or affluence God has graced you with, because you're stewarding well, and you're being responsible to live open-handed and to be able to invest in things that are going to matter in eternity, things that are going to echo beyond your lifetime, things that are going to continue to make a difference. That's how I believe BCC is supposed to use our time and our resources that God has blessed us with. Amen, church? You believe that? But it takes, a, it, it takes us all getting on the same page. It takes us saying, we're gonna move from here to there because we don't wanna be stuck. We wanna be a part of the vision to move forward. We wanna be a part, we wanna, we wanna engage. And we wanna say yes to the greater things that God has called us to. So what is God calling you to be generous with today? How can you grow? in living a generous lifestyle that prioritizes eternity? And how are you being challenged or led to help BCC continue to move forward? Because remember, generosity is our lifestyle. This, is, this should be part of our DNA. It should be part of who we are as Christ followers and as a church, amen? amen. So I'm gonna ask you to go ahead and get out your communion elements this morning. Communion should remind us of what Christ has done for us. And so I want us to be able to end our time together by remembering what Christ has done for us on the cross. And so here's how I want us to do this. I want us to take just a moment and reflect. As Paul instructed the Corinthians to do in 1 Corinthians 11, to examine ourselves. And as we do that, I want us to receive communion together. We'll pray and give thanks for the bread and we'll receive that together. And then we'll give thanks for the juice that represents the blood of Christ and we'll take that together, okay? Let's take a minute and let's examine our hearts.
Lord, thank you for how you gave your life so freely, how you gave your body to be beaten and bruised and maimed in our place. Thank you for how freely and willingly you were able to do that, how intentionally and how sacrificially. And Lord, even you knowing the pain that was coming, you knew that the end result was going to be worth it. And we thank you, Jesus, that your body didn't just lie in a grave somewhere, but you overcame death by being raised from the grave, thus defeating death itself, our final enemy. And so now death has lost its sting. The grave has lost its victory. We now have victory over death through Christ. And we thank you, Jesus, for giving us that way. May we respond in kind by living generously and giving of ourselves for your glory and to impact eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. We receive the bread together. And Lord, we thank you for this cup that reminds us of the blood of Jesus, that as your scripture says, as often as we do this, we do it in remembrance of you, Lord. So we remember you today and we remember your blood that was shed. We remember your blood that was spilt on our behalf that has paid the price. As scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. So we thank you for shedding your blood on Calvary for us as you have given so freely. Let us receive freely and let us also give freely as well and joyfully. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you receive the cup together, church? Thank you, Lord. <clears throat>